Vodka. 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 Hello everyone, it's Amber Love from Vodka Clock Podcast, and this is another special episode of a panel that was recorded at Special Edition New York. So this is the writer's panel with Marguerite Bennett, Greg Pak, Charles Sewell, and uh, moderated by Jim Zub. So uh, take uh, a listen. Let me know what you think. And um, that pretty much wraps up the special edition coverage that we have at amberonmass.com. So don't forget that you can sponsor the show on the website. Go to patreon.com slash amberonmask. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Man, the legend Charles Soul is, but we're gonna get this thing underway. Nice. Yeah, he'll be here. So, you're here either because you're relaxing your feet or because you want to find out about comic book writing or both, and we're thrilled to give you a little bit of information. So, uh, this is our little panel called uh, Pitching and Writing Comic Stories, Writers Unite. Why are you going to listen to us? Well, we're going to tell you who the heck we are first. Let me just go through a bit here. On the far right, lovely, wonderful Marguerite Bennett. Give it up for her. <laughs> Assassin and many, many more titles. You can find her online at Evil Marguerite. The wonderful Greg Pack, give it up for him. Creator of Most Like Fun, Like to Save the World, Princess to Save Yourself, which is on sale at yes. this show for the first time. Yes, or, or come and find me after the panel. Oh, good stuff. He's written action comics, Batman, Superman, Storm, Hercules, and many, many more titles. Currently missing, but will be coming up at some point. Charles Soule. Give it up for him, even though he's in absolutely he'll be here. There he is. There he is, the man. Oh, okay, give him a clap again, because he's walking up the middle. He wanted the hero's entrance, clearly. What a stud. High five, man. High five, you can do it down the line. Yeah, that's good. That's good, I like it. There's the flaming hoop. He needs the flaming hoop. He's going to get up to the front. He's going to tear the basketball tie. Anyway, okay. 27, strange chapters, letter 44, strong man. Wrote death of Wolverine, killed Wolverine. But we still like him. She owns him, man, Wonder Woman, and human swamp thing. And myself, I'm Jim Zub. Got crayon ties like Wayward Sculpture, the Ancient Miracle. Samurai Jack, Sons of Dragons, Figment, Legends of Dark Knight, Red Sonja, all kinds of stuff. So we've written a whole host of titles. We've worked for pretty much every major comic publisher in North America, between the four of us. And some minor ones. And some minor ones, and that's okay too. And so the first question we always get asked whenever people want to talk to us about comics is, how did you get your start? How did you get here? What is your origin story? So starting over at the right, how, how did you get here? I mean, not just like showing up here on the train, but like... That's a curious feeling answer. Nice. Um, no, uh, I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. Formally, and then the very first published comic that I had was the Batman Annual 
mean, I, I kind of always wanted to be a writer from the time I was about nine years old. My hero was Ray Bradbury. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, I, I was a kid who read a ton. I was also, uh, when I was a kid, I was one of the kids who grew. Uh, so I was always drawing uh, comics, basically. Uh, I did a lot of, I, I drew for my various papers in high school and college. Um, but I was always writing. I wrote short stories all the time. One of the things that I read when I was very young that had a big impact on me is the introduction that Ray Bradbury wrote to one of his, uh, to a short story collection. I think the title of the essay was Drunk in the Charge of a Bicycle. Uh, but it was basically about his early years as a writer and about the way he, uh, at, you know, as, as a young writer, every single week he finished a story. Like that was the task he gave himself. Every single week he'd write a story. And um, after doing this for a long time, he finally wrote a story, and it was a story called The Foghorn. And he wrote it, and he was like, I think I finally wrote a good story. And that, that just kind of turned on a lot of lights in my head, this idea that, you know, like, I, I had this deep passion to write, but that it was going to take a lot of time, and that was okay. You know, that it was going to take a lot of work and a lot of time, but that was just what it was. And, and that whole process was uh, going to be exciting and fun, and that's what I, that's what I should do. So... That's what I did. Um, I wrote and wrote and wrote, and uh, I, at a certain point, stopped thinking that I was going to be a writer. When I was in college, I studied political science, and I thought I was going to go into politics. And I actually worked on the Ann Richards campaign when she was running for governor of Texas back in the day, which was great. Um, but you know what? That's not what I was meant to do. And at a certain point, I realized I needed to go uh, back to the things that I that, that, that were uh, that I needed to be doing. I ended up going to film school. I went to NYU, and I uh, studied film, and I made a bunch of short films, and I made a feature film called Robot Stories after I graduated. And, uh, and it was in, around that time that I, uh, uh, my agent found out that Marvel was looking, uh, was interested in looking at some possible new writers from other, you know, from independent film or from other places. And she said, would that be interesting to you? And I was like, yes. Uh, and so I was able to kind of come in sideways from film into comics. Uh, which is sort of where I started as a kid in the first place. So uh, that's the kind of roundabout way I came into it. And once I started at Marvel, I actually worked for about a year just developing stuff. I mean, uh, it took a long time for the stars to align. I actually wrote, I think, three or four complete scripts for projects that never happened for one reason or another. And uh, they kept assuring me that they loved what I was doing. It was just that, you know, this particular thing wasn't coming together. And I was like, okay. And I just kept going because uh, Ray Bradbury wrote a short story every week, so I was going to keep doing it. And, um, and, and eventually it clicked. I did the Warlock uh, series. Uh, I think about the first issue that came out in September 2004. Uh, and then I got tapped for uh, X-Men Phoenix Song, which was, ended up being a pretty big book. And it was at that point that I was like, okay, I think maybe I might be doing this professionally. You know, this is maybe a thing. Um, and, I just, and, and then the, the Hulk was the first ongoing I got on the Planet Hulk storyline. And ten years later, here I am. Charles. Well, first of all, I think you should go back into politics now. You could be our president. Imagine if you are our president. I'd have to shave, though. I don't know if they're ready for a bearded president. <laughs> nice. They might not be ready. All right, so, so my... I've been thinking... I've told my origin story a bunch of times, many times on this very panel, but... Um, just lie. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's it's long. I mean, I, I was I went to law school. I decided I didn't want to go to law school. Or I, I mean, I graduated from law school. Being a lawyer sort of had its ups and downs and all that. And then, I, you know, I got into comics and so on and so forth. But, you know, when I when I think about it, what what ultimately really was was I just decided that I was going to do this. And and all of the sacrifices and money and time and all of the things that would have to be given up in order to get there were worth it. Uh, and. The tricky thing about this is that I know now that absolutely all those sacrifices are worth it. I didn't necessarily know it ahead of time, but when you make the decision, you know, you have to make the decision. Um, and so I think that's basically my origin story. I just decided to do it. You decided to start running all your efforts and time and sacrifices. Yeah, if you want to hear the rest of it, I'll tell you, but it's, it's you know, basically that's it. I just decided. And he wrote himself a contract legally, and he signed off. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sort of a, I came into this sort of sideways as well. I uh, I love comics, grew up on comics, but I never thought that I would be able to work in it because, as far as I can tell, you had to live in New York City, which works out pretty well if you live here. But I don't. I'm from Toronto, Canada, so I apologize for everything. But um, 
um, with the small amount of money or the small and, and, and the friends that I could scrounge up for a weekend, and we could bang it out, I could get it done, and then I could get it out in the world and see if it worked, um, and learn from it, um, and then walk away and do the next thing, you know? Um, as opposed to, you know, uh, working on a single feature film for 20 years. Yeah. And also having that thing where the first, you know, like the first three scenes I shot are horrible, and then I get better as the thing goes on. So that by the end, anyway. But but I, I highly recommend that that process of doing a bunch of short things and learning from that. I also was drawing uh, comic strips around this time. Uh, I drew comic strips for the Korean Times English edition, uh, a, a strip called American Soul. Um, this was back before web comics, and I actually put them online, uh, you know, years ago. But um, but that was also really educational. And this was before I ever knew that I was going to eventually have a career in comics. But any opportunity I had to do storytelling, uh, I would jump on. You know, I did wedding videos because there was storytelling involved. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it sounds kind of crazy, but all of those different things. You were taking classes for writing. You had done a novel before that, and you did a bunch of other writing. How much sort of assignment work did you guys do in that class? Um, well, in Scott's class was different because um, it was, you know, there was a portion of it that was uh, reading, you know, not necessarily the canon of graphic novels um, or comics, but, you know, uh, just sort of a selection of, you know, things that he thought were very accomplished about character or about, you know, about art style, about pacing, um, you know, about the things that only comics can do. And so, uh, you know, part of the class was studying sort of like, you know, the texts that have come before, and part of it was creating your own and incorporating those lessons. Um, honestly, you know, it's sort of funny because, you know, it wasn't remotely uh, related to comics, but one of the best classes, um, most useful for writing and most useful, especially for this medium, was a short story class that I took. Um, a professor uh, named David Hollander, um, who still teaches at Sarah Lawrence, um, and, you know, he gave us, like, you know, just these, these few lists for short stories, and it was having to generate a new idea every week. Because you've got, you know, oh, the novel, well, everything suddenly becomes about that character, about that setting, about, you know, that focus of theme and, you know, uh, the, the second story of the theme that, you know, you want the readers to walk away with um, from, the, from the book. Um, but having the short stories forced you not to be so precious about it. You can't yeah, start, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so, uh-huh. Um, uh, I mean, it, it made you think on your feet a lot. Um, and, you know, it, uh, forced you, you, know, you, you didn't want to be the person who just turned in, like, you know, 40 stories that are all like the slow decline of a suburban marriage. You know, so you needed to jump around, you know, style and jump. Yes, uh -huh, absolutely. But I mean, like that class, I mean, like, like Scott gave us, like, you know, the building blocks, but in terms of, you know, the finesse, um, you know, like the, the short story class was incredibly helpful. And I feel like, like the combination of those two was really what helped me, you know, make an impression. The other thing that that short story class sounds like it was amazing too, and sort of directly applicable, particularly to work for higher comics, in the sense that ideas are cheap. Uh, it, like, you have to have tons and tons of ideas. You know, like, for any published story that you guys might read, there were probably anywhere from three to ten different ideas that were pitched. You know what I mean? Uh, and different variations of that idea that get published, or maybe completely different ideas. We worked, Greg and I worked together on a, on a, on a huge storyline for DC called Superman Doom. Um, which was about sort of uh, a kind of a retelling of the whole doomsday thing, which is when it dies and so on and so forth. And, and we had like many, many in-person meetings in the DC office where we just were like, all right, here's the next arc. What are we going to do? We were like ideas flying like crazy, and then you just sort of whittle it down. So ideas, you want as many ideas as you can have, really. They never, they never want to stop. Absolutely. <laughs> so once you've got material, or once you're starting to build up, you want to be able to put that stuff out there. And it used to be like in the 80s or 90s, you would self-publish or you would do like Ash King, they used to call them, or you do a small, you know, sort of run of a magazine. But nowadays, it's much, much easier to build and put stuff online. Like, it, the audience is out there. Everyone's online. And the more and more, the kind of barriers to entry are kind of breaking down because you can sort of put the work out directly to a readership. You can build up a readership. And in some cases, you can build a big enough audience that they actually into other professional work. Like people like Ryan North going from Dinosaur Comics to writing at Marvel, you know, and things like that, sort of building up, uh, you know, ahead of steam and being able to put your work out there online. I did a, my first comic that I made was actually an online comic I made in 2001. It's a 
2002, and I was working away on this thing doing three games a week, just for my own kind of methodical, oh, I gotta do this, my day job was not fun, this was an outlet for me to sort of create this thing, and people started reading it and sharing it. Back then it was all about getting people to bookmark your site. Nowadays it's not that a lot easier, but slowly building up an audience. And then eventually other people that were making comics reaching out, telling me they liked it, and building up those friendships and that kind of broader social network. Um, but I think what's really sort of true across the board, whether it's you know Margaret writing a novel or Greg doing his films or Charles doing short stories and stuff, whether it's the subject matter, make sure that you're writing stuff that means something to you. I know it seems like you want it to, uh, you think you can gain the system or kind of be like, well, I'm gonna write something that will blow these guys away, but it's gotta be something you care about or are knowledgeable about or are willing to dig deep and research on. Because when it's difficult and when it doesn't work, I think we can also say it just becomes hell to work on. You can't, you know, it's hard to fake being amazing in a particular area or focusing on a genre or a thing that you're not actually passionate about. Obviously, you've got your background as a lawyer, but you've also got all kinds of, the world when you travel and do all kinds of... Well, the first um, the first book I had ever, ever had out for me was called 27. And 27 is a book about a, a, a rock guitarist who, uh, you know, basically needs to deal with the devil so he doesn't die at 27 like Jimmy Hendrix. It's, it's a hell of a read, very uplifting. Um, and I've been a musician myself since I was three years old. My mom had me playing violin at three. Uh, and so I've, I've been in a million bands, I've, I've studied composition, I've done all that stuff. And so when it came time to write uh, a, a project that I knew that I could write with some authority, and I think that's the key word, right, authority, um, music was an obvious go-to for me. And, and yours might not be music, it probably isn't music, I mean, who knows what you got, but there's something that you know better than anybody else, whether that's washing dishes at a, at a shitty job, uh, at a terrible job, no, there's no kids out there, at a shitty job, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, piloting an airplane, whether it's going, you know, being a grad student, or whatever the thing is that you do that you know, you start there, right? And you can layer in other things, but I think authority is something that's very important. And you get it through either life experience, which you have, or you get it through a hell of a lot of homework and research, and that's another way to get it. But if writing with authority, readers can feel it, they know it, and it's really, it's crucial to have, even in, like, superhero stories, like, the, you know, the poor back lot, you know, like, they're, or, 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 you know, fantasy stories or whatever it is, like things that are detached from reality, like find a way to get your authority into it and it'll feel real. So I guess sort of ties in, I've got to say, I like to, you know, write what you know, but try to know a lot. I think it's about more than just reading comics. Obviously comics are important, we all love it, we all obsess over it, but try to broaden your interests, read about the world, read the news travel to places, have experiences, because those are going to interject themselves into your stories as much as possible. Along those lines, uh, I recommend, I highly recommend taking, you know, if you have the opportunity to take a job that's a little scary, that you don't quite know it, do it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've definitely taken jobs because I wanted to learn more. You, know? you mean like a, like a job job or like a writing job? Like a writing job. I mean, probably that applies to job jobs too. Unless it's brain surgery, in which case I highly recommend you to actually learn that subject before you take the job. Um, but, uh, you know, for example, I, I was offered uh, Magneto Testament, which is uh, a miniseries that I did uh, about uh, Magneto's origin story. And it's a Holocaust story. We did it as a straight historical fiction, we made it as historically accurate as we possibly could. And I thought I had a pretty good background to dive into that just because I had done some. You know, I, I, I knew a pretty good amount. I actually even studied German in high school and college, and uh, I had a pretty good grasp of history. But um, but there's, you know, a huge amount to learn, and I was scared, you know what I mean? But I kind of thought that being scared was good, you know what I mean? Like, I took a job that would force me to, that would require me to learn a lot and grow, you know what I mean? Like, that's also a big motivation for being a writer, I think. The, the desire to understand stuff. You know, I think writing is thinking. We, we're compelled to write because we want to think through stuff that confuses us. I mean, that's one reason. Um, and uh, so taking jobs, you know, like... Is that like, because I, I never put it in those, like, that's an interesting way to put it. I, you write because it, one of I mean, many reasons, right? Yeah. Uh, but because it helps you think, think, think things through the confusion. I think so. Yeah, to try to make sense of the world. You know, I mean, like, you, you know, I mean, writing is... When you write, you're imposing a story on a series of events. 
you know, and, and uh, those series of events may mean something totally different to somebody else, it may mean nothing at all, but when you put them in a certain order and try to describe them a certain way, you are trying to make sense of it. When you're working on your books, what sort of research are working on? It's supposed to be wrong. I mean, probably. Yeah, I, I, I probably will. <laughs> I mean, it all, it all varies by project for me. Sure. Um, you know, with bombshells, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make it an alternate history of World War II um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, like, you know, part of it was I wanted to sort of, like, I just wanted to have to, like, I didn't want the exclusion of characters uh, for fear of characters of color. Um, and, for the sake of historical accuracy, right. um, you know, and, which even then, you know, is so horrible and dismissive. Uh, sorry, this is like, like I'll get off this soapbox. Um, well, you're right. You know, usually, usually wrong because yes. usually those people were there. Absolutely. Um, but you know, it gets it gets blanked out of the media that you're fed, and the media that you're fed is what you regurgitate as opposed to the actual, you know, history. Right, right. Um, and so, uh, you know, but it's but just you know, sorry, second back in. <laughs> um, with bombshells, you know, it was really easy for like the first uh, few months that we were working on to take the bog down, um, you know, just the research uh, sort of at the expense of like the blood and the heat of the story, um, you know, like what, what made, you know, you were passionate about it. Um, so, but it, it varies by project. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, sorry, I don't have a better answer than that. <laughs> Once, if you are an artist and you're able to draw your own stories, great, more power to you. But if you're not, then you've got to find collaborators. And that's a whole other subject. We could do a whole panel on collaborating with artists and working with other people. But as much as possible, you have to understand that whatever you do is going to be judged based on that artwork. People are going to look for a professional quality page. And it's hard for them necessarily to see a professional quality story if it doesn't have a professional quality artwork. And lettering, God, lettering is so, so, so important. Make sure it's readable. Make sure you go through and be diligent about making a professional quality work. It's going to be compared to the stuff that you like. It's going to be compared with the publishers that you want to be published by. It has to stand up against that quality part. Yeah, anything that, you, anything that you put in front of an editor should be... You should never have to say, well, you know, I was rushed, so don't, like, any of that sort of disclaimering means you shouldn't be showing it to an editor. Anything you show an editor should be as good as anything that's on the shelf already. Otherwise, there's no point in showing it to an editor. Just do another thing, which goes back to the whole one, two, three-page stories, because those don't take a lot of investment, but an editor can be just as impressed by one-page story as it can be by a 20-page story. And your investment of time and money and everything's a lot less on that one page. Absolutely. So if you've got an idea, once you've built up some understanding of the form, you've got a sense of the craft, now you need to try and get your idea or show it to a publisher or give them a sense of what you want to do for a concept, and that involves pitching. Pitching is different than the writing process, but it does share, obviously, a lot of different elements. And the question you're trying to answer in a pitch is, why should a publisher choose your comic or your story over someone else's? If they have to choose between all these different things, what do you have that is interesting or unique or is so well polished or so well put together that it's inviting, it's engaging, that they're going to want to publish it? You have to organize and sell your ideas into a short and concise pitch. Like this is one of the most common mistakes I see when people want to tell me about their stories. They assume that complexity equals professionalism. And so they want to bring like a giant 400 page telephone book and drop it in front of someone and go, This is my magnum opus. You have to, you know, this is going to change your life. But the reality is, Think about it for a minute, you empathize and you realize, wait a minute, if I was an editor, I can't look at 100, 400 page documents, I can't look at even a 10 page document or a 20 page document every single time I want to see if someone's got a good idea. It's got to be short, it's got to be concise, and it has to be an idea that you can sum up and deliver and communicate. Should we, should we do those? Do you want to do I, I can quickly, so I have this series called Letter 44 that I'm working on now. Uh, it's a creator-owned series out there on the press. It's been going for a while. Um, and the, uh, the quick, super quick pitch, like what I would tell someone, just like what's about, I would say, a U.S. president gets elected, finds out that the previous president's administration found aliens in the asteroid belt, covered it up. So now it's his problem to deal with. You know, it's done. It's one sentence, and, and you can sort of see what that story is about. Yeah, well, um, back in the day, I wrote Planet Hulk, 
And, uh, and the, the quick pitch for that is the Hulk gets shot off into space by the heroes of Earth who decide it's too dangerous for Earth. He ends up on an alien planet where he goes from slave to gladiator to conquering emperor. And, uh, and that's the story. Yeah, I, maybe I should talk about it. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, so, 
Um, and folks like Brian Michael Bendis have written how-to books. Uh, Gail, uh, Gail Simone put together a Tumblr, which has tons of practical advice about making comics on it. Yeah, there's... I've got a bunch of tutorials on my site. All, I've got script samples, pitch samples. I've got sort of how to pitch. I've got how to sell stuff at conventions, all kinds of things. Charles has got a killer series. Uh, uh, yeah, it's called Agree to Agree. It's on my blog, which is just the beginning of charlesholt.com. But it's, it, you know, my, my other career, my, my day job, so to speak, is being an attorney. Uh, and so I wrote up a whole bunch of posts about, you know, when, when you when you enter into a collaborative agreement with a writer, a letterer, artist, colorist, whatever, it's kind of what those agreements should look like. When you're talking to a publisher uh, and, and you sign over your ideas, what you should be looking for in those agreements. I mean, you know, I, I even I, as a trained contract reading guy, that's what they call lawyers, trained contract reading guys, that's the professional term. As a, as a trained contract reading guy, you know, I mean... You know, you, you can understand the deal on the, on the page, but yet there's a whole, like, another layer of what it can actually mean for you professionally in the business, and sort of interpreting all that is, is really, frankly, difficult. Uh, it's, a, it's very much an experience thing, and I, I, there are decisions I made early in my career that I would probably not make now. Um, but anyway, yeah, agree to agree. It's on my blog, you know, there's a whole bunch of yeah. Networking is easier than you think. Marguerite's the master of this. <laughs> As of last night, we did the master. Master. Awesome. Anyways, networking is easier than you think. Tell us. What you, tell us about your, your network. Tell us about just sort of the social network. Oh, okay. Well, not, don't say anything illegal here, but. Sorry. No, no, no. I put you on the spot. I apologize. But the, the reality is that a lot of us, there's a social component to any industry, there's a social component to your job and whatever you do. And there's one here as well, and I think it's built on an idea of mutual respect, and it's built on an idea of, you know, being a cheerleader for each other's work and excited about what we do. And going out and talking about and supporting each other, that's all part and parcel of this thing. I, yeah, you know, the, one of the biggest things I can say along those lines is cast your bread upon the water. Yeah. Um, you know, do unto others. You know, like, the, the more you, uh, you know, it's not, like, make friends and support good work, and uh, folks will support your work, you know what I mean? Like, the best, the best, uh, uh, the best thing that will sell your, your, your work is uh, people, uh, other respected writers and, and artists saying it's good. In public, you know. But the, the thing about that, right, is that so so everybody in the audience here, um, you might you might look at, at Jim and say, Hey Jim's very accessible, he's a guy that I can go talk to, it's not true. He will as soon as his panel's done, he's not your friend, you won't talk to him. But the people who are in your row, you know, maybe they will. You know, everyone in this in this room is, is aspiring to become a comic creator and my, my theory of this is that you can access someone on on your your rung of the ladder anyone below you, and then someone one rung above you. Maybe if you get really lucky, you can get somebody two rungs above you. But you're not going to go up to Axel Alonso, who's editor-in-chief of Marvel, or you know, Bob Harris, who's editor-in-chief of DC. They're just not going to pay any attention to you. Um, but you know, you all climb that ladder together, so the people on the rungs around you are all climbing up. And as just as Brett pointed out, like I think any of the four of us on this panel, we all read and really respect each other's work and would give each other a nod or a retweet or like, you know, or, or you know, a mention to an editor or whatever the support is because we all kind of come up together and we know how hard it is and we all have, as part of that have read and enjoyed each other's work. So, you know, don't, don't, I mean, shoot for the stars if you want to, but, but really it's the relationships you're building right now at your level that will pay dividends forever. forever. It's not something where you can walk into the room and just say, oh, who's the most powerful person? It is about talk to everyone, interact with everyone. You have no idea. First of all, you're going to make tons of great friends, and then you're going to realize how much you all have in common in terms of being creative and wanting to do things. But you have no idea where you're going to be five years from now, ten years from now. Some of the people that I work with now are people that I, I grew up through this industry with. Uh, one of the first shows that I did with Skull Kickers, it was Charles and Curtis Reed and uh, Nate Evanson and Brian Glass, and we all went in for dinner that night because we were celebrating that we had our books that had just come out. And we went for dinner and we were like, hey, this is so cool. We're all kind of at the same level. We should look out for each other. You know who, uh, Eugene Sun, who is a uh, TV writer who works on some of the Marvel uh, animated shows, um, he was on Twitter the other day talking about networking. 
and you put networking in quotes because the whole idea is that if you're networking, that's probably not working. But if you're meeting people who share an interest and who are coming up in the world, and yeah, he was talking about in college, the people he was hanging out with and doing creative stuff with in college, just because they were the cool people that he wanted to do stuff with, they were his friends, but those people eventually, they all grew and became people who helped each other out professionally. You know what I mean? You don't look in the want ads and see comic book writer wanted. You know what I mean? That's not this kind of job. It's very much where someone you know, hears about or says, oh, we need someone for this project, and then someone else says, hey, I know who'd be the perfect fit for that. You know, um, John Barber was a guy who was making webcomics at the same time I was back in 2001, and we both sort of commiserated that we liked each other's stuff, and we chatted back and forth. I didn't know that, like, 14 years later, John was going to be one of the lead editors at IPW, and when they were talking about the Dungeons & Dragons license, he goes, I know the biggest fantasy nerd. we got to get Jim, who's going to write this write the shit out of this book, but it just so happened that our mutual love of comics, you know, 13 years earlier, paid dividends I couldn't have possibly imagined, you know what I mean, that's the long game. Yeah, it's a long game, that's exactly what I was going to say, it's a long game, or a long con if you want to look at that. (laughs) Okay, so sorry, yeah, the word networking threw me, because that sort of conjures the, like, the image of everyone standing around, like, you know, in a business lounge, I'm like, okay, here's a card for you, a card for you, and a card for you, yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, for me, it's, it is socializing. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was me and James Tynan going out, like, for lunch, like, the day after I was, you know, announced from, like, the Batman annual. Um, and, or, uh, or friends that I had, um, you know, in Scott's class, like, one of whom's now an assistant editor at Marvel, Christina Harrington, and who works with me on years of future past, um, like, you know, like, um, on this whole book. And, uh, you know, I guess, like, a big part of it was, like, don't be a hater. Like, you know, support, support good work, support good people. Um, but no, it's like, I feel like I'm kind of like, you know, now echoing like the sentiments that have been shared because they've all run through. Um, you know, where, like, the, the, the folks, you start with the folks who go through, you know, sort of like the foxhole with you. <laughs> um, or the people, you know, who are going to have your back for the rest of your career. Um, you know, there have been times, you know, where uh, creators, you know, they've, they've come up with projects or, you know, have, have gone through controversies um, that I might not have agreed with. But, like, I, I know that person now, you know, and I know what they're capable of. I know the, 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 the heights and, like, you know, and I'll stay with them, and, you know, and have When I said, you know, you're like the master network, and what I meant was, every time I've gone out with you in a group, it's like, you're gracious and you're kind and you're oh. supportive and you know everyone's name and you're, you're interacting and you're excited about the work, and that here is over. It has a really positive net effect. That is very you and everyone around Absolutely. When you said that, like, you know, it put me on the I was like, I'm good at this because I sing a really good that? Johnny Cash karaoke. Here's, here's another thing that I think is so true. When you're on a creative journey, when you're on any kind of career building sort of goal, you don't necessarily appreciate where you're at in the here and now. It can be very much a grass is greener type scenario where you're constantly looking and saying, I wish I was doing what that person was doing. I wish I was Greg Pack. I wish I was Charles Saul. I wish I was Marguerite Bennett. I wish I was doing, you know, a particular project or a particular announcement or a big thing at this moment. And you, you can get, you can really build up a lot of kind of venom if you get overly concerned with that and you don't appreciate the strides that you're making in terms of your own growth, your own development, your own skills, and really appreciate where you're at. You know, if you are able to get a story published and you really relish that and use that momentum and that joy to build off of it to the next goal and the next thing. I find a lot of people, they get so obsessed with the next goal or the next milestone that they don't have any sense of their own spot on the map. Bigger or smaller isn't necessarily better. I know that everyone wants to, you know, you may have these goals of working for the biggest companies or doing really big projects, but that doesn't necessarily, it's not a one-to-one ratio in terms of satisfaction. You can have very personal projects, very small projects, that hold a lot of meaning to you. You can do big corporate stuff and it might be amazing, but there's everything sort of in between. And I think as we go on this journey and you get different kind of opportunities, you sort of realize you've got to judge each kind of project and opportunity on its own merits. Yeah, yeah I, I think also, um, you know, it, it, it took me almost 10 years to get from the point where I just, when I, when I made the decision that I mentioned at the beginning of the panel, like deciding I wanted to do this towards my first issue of Swamp Thinking off of DC, uh, but, but, you know, so you think, oh my God, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years to, to make it, so to speak. But really, every one of those, you like, that was a last little time. I mean, you're coming up, you're, you're 
hanging out with your buddies or all going through the same things, uh, it's really great. So don't don't be afraid of the fact that it takes a huge amount of time, an endless amount of time and effort and, and frustration yeah, yeah. Yeah. and money and all of those things. <laughs> if it wasn't, I mean, you put yourself in it because you care, because you want to do great work. Also, I mean, sometimes the dream project, it's very good that the dream project doesn't happen when you want it to happen. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got a thing that I've been... Oh, about it. Yeah, well, no, because, you know, I've got a project that I wanted to do 20, literally 22 years ago. And uh, and hopefully we're going to announce it very soon. Um, but I'm so glad that I didn't do it back when I wanted to do it because, yeah, it's grown and I've grown and it's become something better, you know? So sometimes, you know, sometimes that stuff just needs to percolate. I know this sounds corny and it sounds very kind of, you know, self-help kind of whatever, but like your passion and your hard work do pay off. You may not necessarily get exactly what you want, when you want, the way you thought you were going to get it, but if you continue to work, opportunities will open up. A lot of the goals that I thought, I thought I was going to be a Disney animator when I started on this creative journey, and I didn't get to do that, but the opportunities that opened up because I worked hard and because I wanted to be that have been wonderful. And in a weird roundabout way, last year I did a Disney project. I wrote the Figment miniseries and I worked with the Disney Imagineers. And it was a weird kind of roundabout way of getting what I always wanted in a way I never imagined. You know what I mean? I think that's the kind of thing where you can't just, this isn't the kind of job where you're going to go, I want to be a firefighter, I go train to be a firefighter, I'm a firefighter. You're going to go and you're going to have all sorts of weird ups and downs and roller coaster ride. But the path and the hard work does lead you to something amazing. If you want to make comics, if you want to do this as a career, you've got to support great work. And create our own comics, live and die on your recommendations, your grassroots support, and you buying titles. If you want an industry to be there that's going to support you, you've got to support them. So find great books, tell people about great books, share them with your friends support this industry so it's there for you when you come around with your creative projects. Alright? So, we covered a lot of different stuff here. We've got our tables listed there on the side and our contact info if you want to track us down on our websites or tweet us at some point or find us here at the show. We've got a few minutes, fleeting minutes, for a question if someone wants to come up to the mic and ask us something. There we go. Alright. First off, I want to say, Kim, I hope to be a fan of you soon. Cool. The three of you, I love everything you guys have done so far. Very kind of you. And, and um, some of you, uh, that are friends of mine, I've joked about before with the idea that when you guys do do stuff like the bigger companies, you, you kind of use it their characters, so it's kind of them and their toys, and then we can create our own stuff, you know, your own thing. So, of you created, What's your like favorite project that you guys have done? Choose between your children. Yeah. Do it now. Uh, I love Lot 44. It's uh, the, the one that I mentioned about the president, the aliens. It's like uh, House of Cards in space. I just adore it. I've got uh, the Princess Who Saved Herself is the uh, children's book uh, that uh, actually is being sold here for the very first time. We did a Kickstarter for it. It's about a kick-ass proactive princess who's uh, in, a, in a big conflict over uh, her guitar playing. The witch, down the, the witch down the street doesn't like her guitar playing. Um, but, uh, yeah, whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing right now, whatever I've, ju I've just done, is always my favorite child. Um, and mine? Yeah, yeah, that's not what I meant to. But I can say that it's, um, it's the story that made Scott Hugh notice of me and made my parents start getting my first job. Awesome. <laughs> I've got, uh, Thank you. yeah, working on Wayward for me has been an absolute thrill. I get to take something I'm really passionate about, which is like mythology and culture, and then put this Japanese spin on it. Um, you develop your creator own work. Do you tend to write out the whole story, like you have your scripts ready, or do you make a pitch, or do you make a pitch and then wait on writing? Different for different projects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For the Princess Who Saved Herself and for Code Monkey Save World, we did those as Kickstarter projects, so we didn't have to go get approval from an editor. Those particular projects just, they, you know, I worked on them with Jonathan Colton, he was my partner, he's the guy who wrote the songs that those are based on. And uh, 
we agreed and then we did it. So that's the way that worked. I mean, I did outline, you know, so that we knew what we were doing. But uh, but that's the way that that works. For um, for the project that I'm hoping to announce really soon, it's been great to work with the editor because that was a project that I thought I understood. And I thought I had a really great grasp on, but the editor asked me like three really good questions and made me rethink a lot of stuff, and it's so much better now. So, um, you know, ideally you get, a, you get an editor who can see what it is that the project can be. You know, you get, it, you, you get the best pitch you can, the best outline you can, and then you work on it with the editor to make it even better. Rather than rushing into trying to finalize a perfect draft before the publisher has sort of had any input at all. Like I cannot write a fight scene to save my life. 
like companies, you know, these brilliant ideas keep, you know, like that momentum going. Um, it's really wonderful. I mean, you know, you're essentially the parents of the story, and so you want it to have, you know, the best chance possible. And so you don't want to, you know, be directorial or, you know, or anything of like, oh, you know, it's my way to the highway. You want to be able to, to bring your virtues together to create, you know, a book that's going to Couple more questions. We're gonna wrap up, unfortunately. The panel is coming to an end, but if we can, yeah, we can just get two more. Is that okay? I'm so sorry, guys. How hard is it to have both at the same time? Have a book and a novel, like coincide with each other. I'm doing that right now. Literally right now, I'm working on all my comic scripts and writing uh, a, a pretty significant novel at the same time, and it's. I find it actually, it's, it's the first time in a long time that I've felt like, really challenged by, by writing stuff. I'm, I'm generally quite fast, and I can kind of get all works, but they, they seem to use, at least maybe it's not the same thing as everybody else, but for me they seem to use really different muscles. Prose and, and comics are just different things, and so snapping myself out of one and into the other has been, has been no, I challenging. No, I'm I think uh, I wrote a short story when I was a comic artist and worked as an artist that fell through, and I really liked the story. I so you wanted to turn it into I a novel. Into a novel. Well, like any adaptation, I think you've got to understand what the strength of that medium is, and that it's going to go through permutations of that, right? Comics are a visual medium, you know? Although there are times you can make a talking head scene work, but it's kind of nice if there's a stronger visual hook, generally speaking. So it's about looking and saying, does this story still function? And if not, what can you do to enhance it for that particular medium? The great thing is with prose, you can get into people's heads easier. You, get, you can paint a, a much more particular picture in that you know, kind of prose way. Like you can really dig in on a description in a way that you wouldn't on a, on a comic. But there's other sort of weaknesses you've got to sort of work around. Thank you. No problem. I read a while back about a writer in DC suing for creative property. Right, like for ownership. Yes, I wanted to know if you were to do a story about, let's say, you gave an example about Kevin Crock being able to get a branch or an expansion of Batman himself and try and get intellectual property from that own character. How would you go about it if you said you would have made some decisions that day? Doing things differently. How would you go about doing something like that involving another character but sticking to your own creation of it? Right. Um, well, you're talking about the legal aspect? You're talking about the. Threading the needle. It can be a challenge, right? Because you, anything you write for DC Marvel is owned by DC Marvel. And, and there are some situations in which you would get sort of participation if the, if the character is used in another way. Like if somebody I made up is uh, used in. Avengers 9 or whatever, then that could be that could be a good thing for me financially, hypothetically, right? But but honestly, the, the, the there's a hard line rule, and it's, it's very straightforward. If you've got something awesome that you love and you you know that is yours that you've made up, think very long and hard about giving it to DC Marvel because you're giving it away, and they're not going to give you that much more for it. If it's something that's a, that's a serious home run idea, um, that could be something amazing. Which I you know like Lucky 44 is, I felt like that for me, right? I would not have given that. To Seat, right? Um, be very careful with giving your, your big original ideas away unless you're sure you'll be well compensated for them. That said, if you're only giving D plus level ideas to Marvel DC, they're not going to get work from Marvel DC. So it's a very difficult balance. Most of your jobs are writers to come up with ideas. Yep. And yes, you're going to filter that through and you're going to make decisions about what's creative around and what's commercial. Yep. But you aren't going to be, you're going to make a career out of this based on the quality of your ideas of it. You know, every so often I think people, they say that, they, they talk about they want to be a writer, and maybe they have a story in their heads or whatever, and, but uh, most of the time I get the feeling they want to have written, what they want to do is they want to sign books, they want to autograph something, but the actual hard work and the development and the, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into it is really the difficult thing that they're not necessarily ready for, they don't know how much it's going to take, and I'm not saying that every idea is equal, you got to put good ideas out for work for hire. you got to put good ideas out for your own creator on stuff. And if you're a writer and you want to do this passionately, you got to consistently keep doing it. you got to keep building it and hopefully, you know, improve that you're not 
you know, a flash in the pan or a one-shot idea. It's sort of an experience thing. The more you do it, the better you get at being able to tell which one to give and not to give, what's in the bag. And, I mean, it's, it's one of the hardest parts, but you, know, you get better out of the time. It's also just a gut thing. I mean, there are certain stories that I will, that I've saved, like this, 20, this, this project I've talked about that I've had for 22 years. I've saved that for myself. At the same time, I freely give everything I have to my creator own work. You know what I mean? Like every idea that I come up with that will work for Superman, I'm giving to Superman. Because that's like the only it's way. For Superman. It's for Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that works for Superman. Right, exactly. Context. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm, but, but I have to give it everything yeah. in order to make it good. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? So, like, just yeah. if you're not, you know, you have to be A plus to do it, right? Sweet. <laughs> All right, we got to wrap it up. Thank you so much, everyone. We appreciate the support. Come see us, come chat with us, come ask us questions. Once again, it's uh, Amber Love back with you at amberunmasked.com. And that was the last panel that I have from Special Edition New York. And um, coming up next with Vodka O'Clock, you'll hear um, from another really great convention. At least I thought it was a really great convention. But um, remember that you can keep up with everything else, all the news coverage and recaps for things at uh, amberunmasked.com. You can sponsor the show and the website at patreon.com slash amberunmasked for as little as a dollar per week. Um, so thanks for listening. Don't forget that you can find me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. If you have any questions, you can leave them in the comments for this show.